You're listening to Potter Nonsense, a podcast with me and Ray. Welcome to Potter Nonsense. I'm Faye. And I'm Ray. And, and this week's episode, we are going to be talking about all the things Hermione Granger would be doing uh, instead of being Minister of Magic. Yes, she's got a lot of plans, our girl Hermione, as as we saw the beginnings of throughout the Harry Potter series and things that we think would be a major concern for her. And they're all things that would cause a little bit too much of an uproar within the very conservative wizarding community for her to be put forward as Minister for Magic by this government that clearly has no democracy. Yes, I think she would find it too stuffy mm. and too archaic. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of red tape that she would just want to slice right through. Yeah, although saying that, uh, would the wizarding world, would the wizarding world, particularly England wizarding world, which is slightly more archaic than, say, America – would they be okay with a female Minister of Magic? Yeah, that's also a good question. Um, we, don't, we don't really know much of the history of um, various Ministers for Magic before that, but I suppose that also if we're just talking England in general, England had a woman Prime Minister back in the 80s. Ah, uh, they did, didn't they? What was her name? I can't remember. Margaret Thatcher. Oh, yeah, Thatcher. Thatcher. <laughs> That's right, I remember. It's Of course, it's only very, very conservative women who managed to make the cut. Yes. <laughs> Which, again, uh, Hermione would not be one of those. No. She's very opinionated and she's very headstrong. That's why we see that in the beginning she doesn't have a lot of friends because she rubs people the wrong way and then it's the reason for her setting up spew mm. uh and it's yeah she's just she's too much of a headstrong and too much of a driven sort of person and she would implement changes that all these old fuddy-duddy wizards just would hate yes absolutely before we really get stuck into this i would like to speak on current events in young adult fiction <laughs> ah, yes. Yes, it's been brought to my attention a number of times now. Oh, really? I have a lot of yeah, people I've sent it been, to you. Yeah, I've been sent it. I've been sent the tweet a bunch of times. You were the first one to send it to me and then like a couple of my girlfriends have just been like, look at this, look at this, look at this. We are <laughs> in fact talking about Tamara Pierce. Yes. And a, her. Yes, a fan awesome. tweeted at her asking if a certain passage implied that Alana of Trebond was bisexual. And Tamora Pierce actually responded with she did not have the wording at the time to describe it because this book was these books were begun in 1983, but she always intended for Alana to be read as gender fluid. Yeah, so the tweet actually reads, Alana has always defined labels, defied labels. She took the best bits of being a woman and a man and created her own unique identity. I think the term is gender fluid, though there wasn't a word for this bracket to my knowledge, close bracket, when I was writing her. 
which is awesome. <laughs> it's so cool. It's such a fantastic and nonsensical way to just say, yep, this is how I intended it. Yep, now we have a word for it and that is it. Yeah. And um, I, for listeners who are not familiar with the work of Tamora Pierce, uh, now is an excellent time to get into it because they have announced that there will be a TV series coming. Um, the series that mostly features Alana is called Song of the Lioness. There are four books, starting with one called Alana, the First Adventure. It is a story of a girl who swaps places with her brother. She has a twin brother. She swaps places with him because he wants to go and learn sorcery uh, instead of becoming a knight, and she wants to become a knight rather than go to a convent to Mm. finish her feminine education. Mm -hmm. And it's a really wonderful series. Um, There's a bunch of series that follow that connect in. So Alana goes on to be in at least 18 books that I know of. Mm -hmm. She's very, she's in most of them in the total universe. Yes. So like Um, when, when it goes on to the immortals, um, which centers around a different character, she shows up, uh, protector of the small, she, her choice to hide her identity and then come out as a woman who is living as a knight, um, Mm. allows the main character and protector of the small to openly as a woman go into night school Mm. Mm -hmm. and it's all just very fantastic and this whole thing is a really good example of the way that we would have liked to have seen stuff like Dumbledore being gay (laughs) yeah representation when done correctly and it can be done correctly is so powerful um, that it's just been done so, yeah, I intended her to be this way, but there wasn't a word for it at the time. Not that there wasn't a word for, you know, gay or straight or homosexuality or something, you know, when the, in the 90s when JK was writing this or the 80s as well when JK was writing this, but did she really just need to make it feel like she pulled names out of a hat and went, oh, yeah, um, yeah, Dumbledore's gay. Um, and that is all I'm saying about it. Yeah. There's like, uh, okay. Okay, cool. Thanks. You can write something into a story without specifically using words that would not fit in that setting or be something that say Dumbledore would discuss with, um, our, our, um, point of view character, Harry, who was a child. That's fair. That makes sense. It's it's not putting the work in to make it implied to the reader. Yeah, it's it's the implicit. It's the unspoken versus the spoken. Sure, Dumbledore doesn't have to have a conversation with a child about his sexual identity, but offhandedly he could mention a husband or a boyfriend or a, a previous uh, I don't know, something. If there are words to describe the way you feel about someone without actually having to come out and say it. The- and Star Wars, funnily enough, Star Wars books 
the books and comics series do this beautifully because they will have a character and that character will, for example, if it's a female character, they will just say, oh, yeah, my wife back home on Akiva. And then that's it. It's not brought up. It's hmm. it's or like a character A will come into the scene, character B will be making them coffee, they'll share a nice small intimate gesture uh, and the labels are she, they, she, he or they. Like Star Wars, the writers who write for Star Wars books do it beautifully and that's what J.K. Rowling lacked. Yes. And Tamora Pierce coming out and saying, here's my answer, this is what I intended, have a nice day. It's just so powerful. Mm. And um, Tamora Pierce has also gone on to write characters who are canonically trans, can- characters who are canonically gay within the, like, within the very explicit text in a way that you can really, really put forward in a way that maybe you can't specifically use the phrase gender fluid even if she had access to those words in the context of the story that she was writing. Um but if you are looking at Alana with the understanding, yes, this character is gender fluid, the fact that she lives in both female and male roles is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I can think now is that, like, if J.K. Rowling really wanted us to get the idea that Dumbledore was gay, um, it would have come up in Rita Skeeter's shitty memoir, like oh, was, yeah. there, there was a full-on trashy memoir written about Dumbledore and at no point is it referenced that Mm-mm. Dumbledore was in a relationship with any man. Um, yeah, the, the queer identities in Harry Potter feel like they've just been pulled out of a hat or mm-hmm. she's just rolled a D20 and gone, oh, what name is that? Oh, yeah, uh, Dumbledore will do. Mm. Like it's it's a bit of a cop out, and don't at me because she answered with, "Why does a gay character have to act gay or seem gay?" Blah blah blah. That tweet that she had in response to this exact discord of someone questioning her. It's because if you don't have that unspoken, it just feels like a cop out. Yeah, you need it, to actually back up your claims, and that's different yeah. to having characters be a stereotype. Yeah, exactly. Like there are stereotypes and then there's unspoken, this is the way this character is. And you don't have to stereotype them for God's sake, no, but you do have to make it implicitly clear that this is the way you intended to write this character. And Dumbledore, from the word go, does not implicitly or explicitly scream, I am this way inclined. Yes. All right, I think that um, that pretty much covers that one. Uh, anyone who is interested in um, a new, well, not new because they started in the 80s and th- as such it, they don't quite fit into the bog standard of young adult literature as we know it because that wasn't really yet a thing in the 80s. But they're very good. Uh, even reading them as an adult, they're very, very good. Uh, the yeah, they're talk very good. Series, which will be getting a TV show and I could talk about this for ages. In fact, I've been talking about this for two days. <laughs> <laughs> I need to reread the books because it has been a good 
decade since I read them and they're very, very fuzzy. But I do remember enjoying Alana's story the most yeah, when I, I was reading I, it as a kid. I reread Alana's books um, about seven years ago. I actually, um, for a stage, was on Tumblr doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter review and then I just got ahead of myself and gave up on that. And I'm not sure if those um, posts still exist, but um, they were a bit of fun. And um, I would definitely like to go back to the other ones because, um, yeah, they're really, really enjoyable books and they were very important to me when I was very young. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot of fun. So go check them out. Tamora Pierce is a, a freaking angel. She's such a lovely lady as well. Um, and, yeah, just enjoy. Mm. That's our wreck for the episode. <laughs> now, shall we begin our discussion of all of Hermione's causes with the most famous one, her desire to liberate the sapient, non-human magical creatures? Yes. Yes. Now, I mean... <sighs> I, I, I just want to say I use the word sapient here because, you know, all living creatures are some form of sentient um sapient is referencing self-awareness basically yeah I like that um I like that term actually I've not heard that term used before that's a really good term um yeah I've heard like sentient Mm. but sapient makes a lot more sense when talking about house elves and what uh, apparently the wizarding world consider lesser beings. Yes. So her main thrust, of course, was with the house elves. And I do believe that in extra canonical material that J.K. Rowling has put forward that she did go on to do more stuff regarding house elves. Yeah, house elf liberation. Yes. Um, We also get to see her being very clearly very sympathetic to the centaurs. Mm-hmm. Although she also did, um, you know, in the same book that she was very interested in the welfare of house elves, she was also um, willing to use the centaurs to her own ends. Yeah. I mean, she was a kid. Yes. Yeah. She was 15 at the time, 15-year-olds, mm. not blessed with the greatest of judgment or often the greatest... Um, sense that maybe your own ideas are not for the best of everybody. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we could probably give her a little bit of a pass for that because she is a child. Yes. Um, the fact that she was a child and decided to take upon herself to liberate house elves, which has been something that wizards have owned or possessed for a very, very, very incredibly long time mm-hmm. is pretty big for a 15-year-old. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely, um, in many ways, it's, it's really, really incredible stuff. In other ways, it's definitely um, baby's first feminism. <laughs> yeah. In, in both, like, very good ways and also the I know better what you want and need than you do. Um, to other people who are not as liberated as she would like them to be. Mm. So much like um, the idea of the white feminist who 
is more interested in what she thinks about other cultures than um, how the women in those cultures feel about themselves. <laughs> uh, for example, women who choose to wear the hijab for religious devotion purposes. Um and women who decide that all versions of wearing hijab is female oppression. Yes. So in some ways, Hermione does approach um, in the early, at least at the early stage when she's trying to trick the house elves into freeing themselves. That's not good. That's not good activity. Uh, no, no, that's not, that's not recommended, not recommended to blackmail someone against their own belief which I'm pretty sure also would not work mm-mm, mm-mm. Because I'm pretty it, sure it has to be given by the master yes given by the master and also like physically handed to them because Dobby can still do laundry yeah I was thinking that when I was reading the book and she was like leaving socks and stuff around I'm like bitch who what, who washes those socks who does the laundry for everybody who has a house elf mm, yeah she's, what's the point she's of having ma- a house elf She's making all of these hats and maybe her thinking is the fact that she's made them especially for the house elves and left them out. Maybe that's enough for the loophole. And it seems since the other house elves don't want to go into the Gryffindor common room, maybe that's correct. Maybe. Uh, It's the intention behind the garment of clothing. Mm -hmm. But um, ultimately it doesn't seem like it's quite the way that the rules are set up. (laughs) No. I mean... It, it is one of those things. It's like she gets more educated as, you know, Ron gets more and more annoyed with her by telling her it's been this way forever, Hermione, and you've got to stop doing it, Hermione, and uh, they like it, Hermione. And it's like, well, do they like it or mm. are they just told they like it? But then she starts to get more uh, acquainted and she starts to research a little bit more, which I think is is good. Yeah, I do find it interesting that Hagrid also is telling Hermione, no, they like living like this, mm. which Hagrid, and in this way I think that it's also just um, some not great writing on J.K. Rowling's part <laughs> because in not having anyone but Dobby be – like, I do not like living in servitude. <laughs> Her argument is kind of pro-slavery. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> just, a, just a tad, just a little teeny bit. Hmm. But, yeah, um, I, I think that the idea of Hermione going on to educate herself to have discussions with maybe at first the Hogwarts house elves because they are a more neutral um, group, they'd be house elves that she would be able to get access to as opposed to the ones who may be living in much worse circumstances in uh, in private homes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there are probably families who really look after their house elves and then there are probably families who don't look after their house elves. Yes. Um, and, and to be clear, we're not making a there were nice slave owners um, no, who? Not at all. Yes, no. like, and of like, of course, there were definitely slave owners back in those days who did consider the slaves to be part of the family, but the slaves would not have considered that to be the case. <laughs> yeah, 
No, that's okay. Don't at us. That's not what we're saying at all. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's history is complicated is the thing. And slavery is always bad, no matter how nice interpersonally the people uh, who are engaging it in it are. Yeah. And that, that, um, that is the policy that we are going to go by here. Yeah, that's the policy we got to go by. <laughs> so, yes, um, going on to actually work with the house elves to determine what is best for them rather than her deciding what is best for them, what would it be? Definitely one of the things that Hermione would be going on to do based on her actions as a teenager. And Mm. in that time, I think that looking at the way that other um, sapient creatures are being, especially since one of her sisters-in-law is part Vila. Yeah. Um, we we don't know what Vila human relationships uh, relations are really like, but they are at the very least used um, for entertainment purposes in Bulgaria, I guess. Yes, they are, um, and they are also. Well, didn't we figure out the other day that they're classed as non like non sapient? Um, they well, they're in the ghoul studies. Um, yeah, that's curriculum. right. I remember now. Yeah, yeah, which is weird. So they are classed as a lesser being. Yes, they are. So I mean, uh, that that still complicates things. And then, oh man, okay, our last conversation is coming back to me now. There's a half house elf, isn't there? Yes. Oh. oh no. Um it's it's really difficult I think for you and I to discuss slavery as white Australians. Well, yes, it is it is not something that uh slavery wasn't even really something that I learned about until I was much older mm. because it's not on our curriculum here. And of course like we also understand that the American curriculum on the subject very much skews towards white people were in the right most of the time. Like this was a bad thing that they did, but they meant well and they didn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> Which Yes, I have heard that about the curriculum. It's not true. They no. knew they were doing a bad thing. It's why they yeah. used the Bible to try and justify it. Yeah. Yeah, not good, not good. Not good at all. Um... But, yeah, considering that Australia was um, settled by Europeans after England stopped doing uh, slavery <laughs> means that it was it's not really at least um, the kidnapping of African people to be slaves in our country is not a thing that is part of our history. We have more abuse of Indigenous people in our history. So it's it's something that we're not nearly as close to, so we're not really equipped to have in-depth conversations about it. So we apologise if we put our foot in some things. Yeah. Uh, It's it's a tricky thing. Like I said, we don't learn about the actual topic 
at all. So everything I know really about it is stuff that I've searched out myself, which has been a combination of uh, curiosity plus Tumblr plus Twitter plus mm, that doesn't sound right. I need to find out more about that. And some degree of historical fiction as well, which, you know, at which point you do seek out your own understanding of what's going on because not everything in historical fiction is going to be correct. No, not at all. I've been been doing a Tudors rewatch. Nice. (laughs) And um, I I like to Google people who come up in stuff to, like, find out what their actual deal, deal was. And they had um, uh, Thomas More, uh, actual Saint Thomas More, who was Mm. part of um, Henry VIII's court, um, burning Simon Fish alive. Oh, oh gosh. And, like, there's been a lot of historical stuff, like, that had come up, like, propaganda kind of stuff about Sir Sir Thomas, like, Saint Thomas More. Um burning heretics this does not seem to be part of the historical record um he did condemn a lot of them but he was not personally involved in the burning of heretics to the knowledge of the historical record but I also just decided to look up Simon Fish who actually died of plague (laughs) nice like he was arrested for heresy and they were going to execute him for heresy which would mean that he would be burned um but he died in prison before he was able to be executed and then his wife went on to marry another man who did actually get burned for heresy so oh well Maybe it's her. Well, I mean, you wouldn't if if you were getting married at the time and you were if you had certain religious beliefs, you probably would be seeking out a partner with certain religious beliefs. This is true. And the heresy that they were being burned for was just basic Lutheranism. Oh, okay. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, history. Yes. <laughs> fascinating, and it is always in the hero's perspective. Hmm. Or the victim's perspective, um, let's. <laughs> oh, it depends who's teaching you, I guess. Yeah. Depends how you're learning. Uh, what my name is um, doing? Sorry. Just, just because um, we are on bur- burnings and heresy and stuff like that, um, I was actually thinking of whether or not Hermione would be interested in trying to put an end to the international sa- statute of secrecy. Maybe. I didn't think about that. Um mm. Because, like, the statute was put into place and then fully established in 1692, which is the year of the Salem um, witch trials and executions. Yes. Um, which um, went, they were from 62 to 64. 63, uh, 63 May 63. Was it? Okay. In Massachusetts anyway. Yes. Um, um, which I did, I did go back and, um, double check. No one was actually burned at Salem. People were no, burned in America. They were hanged. Or, hanged. Yeah. They were all hung. Or they unfortunately Oppressed. died in prison. <laughs> yeah. There was also someone who was pressed to death as well, yes. but that, that they were 
they refused to plead. Yes. Um, For those at home who don't know about pressing, it's basically they put a board on top of you and then put rocks on top of that board um, and the weight continues to build up and if you do not confess, you just get crushed. Yeah. It is unpleasant. (laughs) Mm. I can't can't say I think it would be a walk in a park. Mm. Um, But, yeah, so that was actually put into place when – the panic over witches was actually really dying down in most places. Mm. Like people stopped being like there are witches, you know, into the into the 1700s it started to very much decline. Yes. <laughs> so so they basically put this the international statute of secrecy in place which was meant to prevent further um prevent the wizarding community from being prosecuted in place at about that time and I'm not sure if that's um meant to indicate that it worked or if that's just meant to be like oh this these things are getting very very bad we should do this now Mm. I yeah I feel like it's the second option like the hmm things have gotten bad we should do this now yeah and then it just happened that the natural course of things that people was that people were like huh maybe this isn't real yeah yeah it seems like uh someone like a smart witch or wizard was kind of like oh it's the grain ha 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 (laughs) although ergotism i think was a fairly recent theory I it yeah it is it's like a theory for like in the last five or six years, mm. but I mean who's to say it wasn't a theory back then and it was just a witch or a wizard who was like let's say that we're poisoning them. <laughs> I've got to say though, there's um, are you aware that there was also a at the same time as people were into finding and killing witches, they were also into finding and killing werewolves. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if that was actually the in in this universe the wizarding world trying to deflect. Maybe. Or maybe it was the wizarding world or oh, here's a theory. Maybe it was the wizarding world hunting werewolves first and then the humans were like, "Why are you hunting these world like these people?" And it's like, "Cuz they're werewolves." Oh, well, yeah. by the way, we have magic powers and it's like, "Burn the witch." Yeah, it, I feel like it was kind of a situation of like, "Okay, so we are being hunted." Um we don't we don't like the werewolves, so let's try and get the werewolves killed. Yeah. And the vampires. <laughs> oh, the vampire panics of history are also very, very interesting. Vampire panics of history are my favorite as well. And most of the issue was it was cold. They're not decomposing because it's cold. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, oh, you've dug up their body 10 years in the middle of the Romanian forests uh, while it's been under hard ice. What do you mean it's not decomposed? And um, just the natural progression of uh, the illness that we now know as tuberculosis in that it hits one person and then the people around them catch it because it's in uh, respiratory droplets. (laughs) Yeah. Because the um, idea that they had was that um, the first person would die and that would be the vampire. So then they would pick off members of their own family one by one. 
so yeah, they would be really. rising from the dead and taking them when actually it was just like okay the disease has hopped from one person to the other because that's how disease works yeah that's how bacteria works uh it's also that they were in the incubation period mm. when the person died and then that incubation period ended and they they got the disease yes did you know tuberculosis can lay dormant in someone's chest and lungs i did know that yes because I was doing doing some extra Googling because a friend of mine who lives in Manchester got tuberculosis this year. Yeah. my It was on – this is – sorry, this is going to be really morbid. It was on my granddad's autopsy report. Oh, okay. That he had tuberculosis spores in his lungs from like the 1940s when he lived in England. Damn. Yeah. He had them – yeah, he had them in his lungs like his entire life. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting the way that it can like either just sit there and not do anything or you could be infected with it years and years ago and then it suddenly pops up because something else went wrong. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot about the human body that's just generally weird and freaks me out, like stuff like that or like you can be standing up one day and you get an aneurysm and you drop drop dead. Yeah. You just drop dead like – I, I still maintain that doctors don't really know what is going on inside a human body. They're just making like random educated guesses. Like they, they've learned some things, everything, everything else is at sea. <laughs> like my physiotherapist is continually surprised by me because if it's not my neck, it's my back. It's not my back, it's my shoulder. And like he cleared me the other day and was like, yep, off you go. See you later. Don't have to see you till the new year. Get out of my office. And then the next week I was in his office because I dislocated my shoulder in my sleep. <laughs> Because I have hypermobility in my joints, I slept on it funny and must have rolled in my sleep and it popped out backwards, not forwards. Uh, and Is hypermobility really like being double-jointed? Like you can – Yeah. Okay. It's the, it's the medical term for double-jointedness, but it's just where your ligaments and tendons just stretch past their point yeah. of breaking. Matt's, so instead of breaking, they just keep stretching. Yeah, Matt's got a similar sort of thing in that when he stretches, he freaks out my family. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I do like that. He'll stre- my shoulder goes all the way over. Yeah, he'll stre- like be stretching um, his arms behind him and they will just keep going. And I'm <laughs> like, do not do that when we're eating. <laughs> yeah, no, my, like I can, I can take my right wrist and pull my shoulder all the way over so that it's like halfway down my body but on the other side. I feel like you've missed your calling as one of those people who like puts their body through tennis rackets. Yeah, I feel like I should have been a contortionist. Um, I only have hypermobility in some of my joints though, so ankles, knees, toes, uh, no, toes, ankles, knees, hips. It like misses my spine completely and then goes shoulder, okay. <laughs> shoulders and some of my fingers, not all of my fingers. So it's kind of one of those things where if I had like probably stretched and like did dancing and gymnastics and stuff as a kid, I'd probably be like really, really bendy right now. But because there was certain points in your life where things fuse together as you get older, blah, 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 uh, the hypermobility only stuck around in some of my joints. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, dislocated my shoulder in my sleep. I mean, my doctor's <sighs> trying to figure out what kind of what's causing the fact that very minor knocks will sometimes cause me immense pain. 
Oh, yeah. Which See? is the thing that I was like, hmm, maybe this isn't normal. And I was like, you know when this happens to my father? And he's like, no, no, I don't know when that happens. <laughs> oh, man, I love hearing stories about people who, like, go through life doing one thing that they think is completely normal only to find out that it is not, in fact, normal. Yeah. Actually, the thing that I was doing that with was um, I'll get, like, a random pain in a spot that, like, if something very gently brushes me, and it's usually tied to when it's cold, if something very gently brushes me, it will hurt me like I've been burned. <laughs> yeah. See, that's not weird for me. I get that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's tied to like my chronic fatigue and hypersensitivity during cold weather. Yeah. My doctor's basically I think you might have an autoimmune condition. Yeah. I don't Sounds know which like one it, it is yet. <laughs> oh, look, it's almost impossible to really figure out which autoimmune disease it is. Yeah. Um, speaking of various medical things, this is uh, since we recorded, I learned that I also have ADHD. <laughs> Yay! Welcome to the club. <laughs> Which explains both the last like twenty minutes of this podcast and also like just the general vibe of the podcast in total. Both of us have ADHD. <laughs> yep. This is this is why the podcast is a big old giant mess. <laughs> So I feel like there would be a level on which all muggle-borns would be like, why can't we interact with the rest of the world? Like, I get your reasons, but they're also very dumb. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that uh, probably a couple, of po- uh, couple of episodes ago where it's like if I being like if I was a muggle-born and I was in school, when I came back to my real life on like holidays and stuff, I'd be like super careful not to like give secrets away. But why? Why not? Yeah. Like, I think we have on this very show before been like, literally anything that the muggles can throw at the wizarding world can be very easily countered by wizards <laughs> because yeah. they have magic. So there's literally no risk at this point, especially since, um, like, no actual, it's canon that no actual witches or wizards died during the witch trials. Yeah, they just kind of froze the flames and... Uh, it tickled them. Yeah. So it's like there's literally nothing that the muggles could have done <laughs> to them that would have given them reason to need to be secret. Mm. Yeah. It's um, it's it's one of those things where it's like, is this another archaic thing that they don't need anymore but no one is progressive enough to change it? Mm. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, Hermione. <laughs> yeah, look, she, there's no denying that she would make a great minister for magic. Yeah. Because she is headstrong and because she's opinionated and because she's incredibly intelligent. It's just I don't think she would see that for herself. Mm. Like we were talking about how the Wizarding World might, the Wizarding Britain might not be ready for a woman minister of magic. What about whether they're ready for a muggle-born minister for magic? Yeah, right, right. Because I think that would be the one, the thing that would have the real uh, blowback. Yes, absolutely. I think that would be one of the biggest blowbacks. I think that would even be an even. Uh, I think that would be an even bigger blowback than her being a woman. Mm, yes, because there's like not a massive indication that they are as anti 
woman as like the rest of the world, especially since we've got um, Wizarding America having um, a black woman yeah, minister in the yes. nineteen yeah, yeah, yeah. in the nineteen thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they use minister or president in that movies in those movies. I, I also remember. do not care. <laughs> I saw them one. I saw it once, and I haven't watched the other ones. And while I could probably Google it, I would rather not. Yeah, this will probably this will probably also come up when um, Alice comes on and talks about paganism in the Wizarding World with us. But also just the fact that the Macusa's, um big courtroom hall has a giant pentacle on the floor that raises so many yeah. questions for me. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of questions there. Alice is also going to be doing is, – is Alice the one who's going to be doing Snape episode with us? Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> I'm, like, most excited for that episode, let me tell you. Yes, we will be recording that one shortly, but it might not be the one that goes up right away. <laughs> no, that one we're going to just drop as a surprise. Mm, the time will come. Um, so we've touched a couple of times on the idea of Hermione realising that her classmates are perhaps not all that well prepared for their literacy and numeracy requirements for basic life. Yes. (laughs) Because the general policy in Wizarding Britain seems to be homeschooling. Yes. Homeschooling can work very well for some kids, but only if their parents have also been educated and we don't know that that is the case. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Homeschooling, I have seen when homeschooling has been done correctly and it's been fantastic. And I have also seen when homeschooling has been done very, very incorrectly and it is not fantastic. Uh Homeschooling needs to be done by parents who also understand what they're teaching and how they're teaching. Yes. Actually, there's a book that I – another tangent, but only a small one. There's a book that I have on my reading list which is written by a woman who was homeschooled in a very strict religious um, household and then she went to college. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, it's just her – it's called Educated. It's, like, the the woman is – really really interesting who wrote it and um like I've, I've I heard her interviewed on a podcast and I was like I need to read that and I just haven't gotten around to it because I've just been in a trashy reading zone for a bit <laughs> man me too me too but yes um Hermione starting a school um for people to send their children too before they go to Hogwarts like like a junior school a junior Hogwarts like it wouldn't even need to be like any kind of magical stuff just the important things that we learn in primary school that Harry would have learned in primary school that's yeah elementary school for the Americans um the important building box blocks that teach you how to learn <laughs> yeah and like I imagine there would also be a level on which kids were maybe taught to focus the 
accidental magic that they were doing to stop things from happening in public perhaps and also to channel it towards, you know, preparing to work with a wand. Yes. I mean, something like that, yeah, like something like that does need to be teached. Wow. Something like that does need to be taught. Um. Uh, Which is why it surprises me that there is no primary school for these kids. Mm. There's no primary education for these kids. And I get it. It probably goes back to the culture of families taught, teach. Holy crap, I'm having trouble with that word. It probably goes back to the culture where families teach their young. Mm. Like it's taught as a whole of a community, not like one specific teacher. Um, But... Also, that is harder and harder when you start to spread yourselves out. That kind of community-based teaching only works in communities that are small and together. Yes. It, it, it reminds me of the whole idea of America having just one school <laughs> of magic when that was founded back in the, like, 1400s or 1500s. Um, and that's the one that everyone is happy to send their kids to in spite of the fact that there were extremely different cultures living in America at that time. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, I think Hermione would see the benefits of teaching more than she would see the benefits of her being Minister of Magic. Yes. Um, and even if she's not the one that's teaching herself, the idea of starting these institutions yes yeah which I think which she would also be going into tertiary education with yeah she uh, I feel like she would get to a point in life where it would just blow her mind that wait you guys don't have primary school oh my god you guys don't have university where am I going to go after Hogwarts to keep learning yeah and we have talked about how like Hermione the idea of Hermione being like wait there's nowhere for me to go after this yeah yeah she would just be like she would she is the type of person who would just be mortified this is the same girl that said you would be killed or worse, expelled. Like the worst thing in life for Hermione Granger is to fail at something and to not be able to learn. Mm. Like Hermione Granger probably decided that she was going to Oxford when she was six years old. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And honestly, I like the idea of her like having some kind of record of a – um, muggle school transcript created for her so that she could actually attend a muggle university and learn the things that she thought that she might need going forward, I think. Yes. Like, she's got all of these plans. The Wizarding World does not have the resources the resources to teach her to enact these plans, so I can see her going to the muggle world to decide on that. Yes. Yeah, I like she would definitely want to keep learning even if it wasn't you know in the wizarding world she definitely still want to keep learning mm. but yeah so do you have any um ideas of uh hermione's um cuz i um 
I'm not sure what I'm having trouble thinking of her other causes over the course of the books. Um, uh, I feel like maybe she would go into researching as well. Like she would just go into straight research or even documentation of uh, historic history, historical happening. Like I feel like maybe she would go into uh, records keeping. Okay. Um, to try and keep a record of her events of the war and then she would go to Harry and give his events of the war and then like uh, the Weasley's events of the war and I feel like maybe she would just get caught up in this entanglement of trying to keep a historical record of what happened. Yeah, and that seems like something important for like to be done that may not have been prioritized by a ministry of magic who were so responsible for how easily Voldemort took hold. Yeah, I I think so. I think there probably wasn't a lot of record keeping in the first war. Mm. And even with um, Grindelwald. Yeah, and exactly. Even with Grindelwald, there wasn't, too much keep record keeping then either and I feel like Hermione being the meticulous and book smart person that she is knows the value of keeping a record of things yes um because I mean I'm pretty sure in the movie at one point when they're camping just before Ron has his little breakdown and meltdown she is sitting and jotting down stuff in a journal is she I think there's a scene where they're in a tent, maybe it's after Ron has gone, that she's sitting and journaling something. Okay. Or she's reading from a book and she's writing notes. Um, I can't remember the specific um, thing from the book. I know that in the movie when he takes off it was right after Hermione found um, information on the sort of Godric Gryffindor in a book. Oh, maybe that's the scene that I'm thinking of then. She wasn't writing. She was researching. See, researching. Yeah. I think if she didn't go into teaching or if she didn't go into other stuff, I think she would go into record-keeping and historical information, Mm. keeping a record of historical information. Yeah, the um, library arts, shall we say. (laughs) Yeah. And I also just, just um, in the notes that I jotted down, my one thing that I also was like, dental care? <laughs> yes. Things things that Hermione would want to bring to the wizarding world because, like, yeah. I don't know if it's just that Slughorn is nasty, but um, not knowing what a dentist is. Yes, it's, uh, that's concerning. Maybe it just has a different name in the wizarding world. Yeah, and I know that Madame Pomfrey can uh, perform some kind of dental care because she sorts out Hermione's teeth after Snape is the worst. Um, so there's, like, clearly some kind of dental care in the mix, but, like, also is it being focused on? Because, you know, people live a very long time in the wizarding world and the lifetime of our teeth is roughly 30 years. <laughs> Yes. Yes. 
Do you think Hermione would go to like a university, become a dentist and then bring dental care back to the wizarding world? I feel like Hermione is just part-time studying constantly in the muggle world. Everything. She studies everything. She, she's just got a list of things that the wizarding world doesn't have and she's just like, right, I've got to study that next so I can bring that over. I've got to study this next. Dentistry? I've got to study dentistry. Right, let's go study dentistry. Let's do this. <laughs> And then, like, offhandedly one day Ron says something and she's like, I'm not stunned. You know, that is like a five-year degree. No, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And in that moment she just gives up entirely and she's like, you know what, you've survived this long without it, just survive even longer. Why don't you come to school, Ron? If you want this so badly, you learn it. (laughs) Ah, uh, that's exactly what it would turn into too. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think Hermione is cut out to be Minister of Magic, not because she's not cut out for it in a bad way. She just has better things that she could be utilising her skills and brains on. Yes, all of the things that Hermione wants to change in the wizarding world would be exactly why she would not be the Minister for Magic because no one is voting for this. <laughs> No, no one would vote for her. She causes too many waves. Well, and, and it's like it's not a public vote as far as we can tell. There's no opposition leader for the Minister of Magic. No, I think it's the Wizard Gamut. Yeah, you've got, I like, as far as we can tell, since Wizard Gamut is definitely based on Wizard Gamut, <laughs> yeah. um, it is the group of people that get to decide who is in charge. Yeah, no, I um and like I think that Amelia Bones would um provide her vote uh, for Hermione, but no one else. Yeah, I think so. I think your name was yeah. Amelia, wasn't Susan Bones' aunt? Yeah, Amelia Bones was Susan Bones' aunt. Yes, the one who was on the Wizard Mart. Yeah, but yeah, that's um. That's about all I have really to say on what Hermione may or may not be doing instead of being Minister of Magic. Yeah, and, like, I I can see her, if if Percy ever made it, like just bullying Percy into doing stuff. (laughs) I read a great fic, like, a couple of months back where Percy was the Minister of Magic and it was really, really, really well done. Excellent. I do, like, I honestly really like the idea of him ending up because he's exactly the kind of rule-loving idiot that would be put in charge as the figurehead of a society where, like, the Minister is definitely not the boss of everything. No, 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 no. The Minister is definitely not the boss of everything. Um, yeah. It was really, really well done, Percy Weasley, and he wasn't as insufferable as he's normally written. Um, They actually did a really, really good job. Okay, well, I guess that brings us to the end of our our podcast. Yes, it does. Um, I'm not not quite sure um, where where we quite finished up that discussion because we did get interrupted, but um, I think we have said all that we really needed to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Hermione Granger would not have been Minister of Magic. She would have gone on to do great things, but it would not have been Minister of Magic. Yeah, Hermione Granger, um, in spite of her weird reputation in the fandom for being 
a stickler for the rules. Um, really spent most of the series working outside of the rules in order to do the right thing. And for this reason, it doesn't make a lot of sense for her to try and ingratiate herself with the Wizard <laughs> Yeah. No, it, it, she would be a threat to them anyway. Yes. So, um, we would love to hear from our listeners. Um, if yep. you have ideas for things that you want us to talk about, or if you just want to make comments on the episode, um, we would love to hear from you. I can be contacted on the Bronze Pick Media Twitter account or at my own Twitter account, raven.com, which will be linked in the show notes. I'm at Ray is a writer or on the Facebook group page, which if you just go to Facebook and search Potter Nonsense, it should come up. Yes. Um, I will also be available on the Facebook group, which we haven't gotten – um, any new people in uh, very recently, but we would love to have some new members. Uh, Please, and it's, come um, join us. It's been a while since we've mentioned this. We would love to have some ratings and reviews on the show. It does um, help people decide whether or not they're interested. Tell your friends about us, and um, we'd really love to grow this podcast. Um reach more people and have more people to discuss Harry Potter with. Because who doesn't love to discuss Harry Potter? Muggles. Muggles is the correct answer there. Muggles is the correct answer. (laughs) (laughs) But until next time. Mischief managed. Mischief managed. Potter Nonsense is a production of Bronze Pig Media and is recorded in Queensland and South Australia. If you liked the show, please rate, review and subscribe so that others can find us. You can contact us on Twitter at BronzePigMedia or by email at BronzePigMedia at gmail.com. Bronze Pig Media. Oink! <laughs>